This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning, good to see you here. God bless all of you. We love you. And I'm telling you, I'm excited about the things of God. One of the prayers for my own life is passion. And man, I do this with a passion, so you'll sense passion today. Also, I had a thought a minute ago when the Lord was down here just moving. And if any of you have experienced calamity, if any of you experienced something that's just really been bizarre lately, understand this, the Lord's saying that, that whatever the devil meant for evil, I'm going to turn it for good. And there's some of you need to get a hold of that. He's going to turn it for good, whatever went on. And if that bears witness with you, just grab a hold of that and say, all right, Lord, go ahead and start turning it to good. Why don't you raise your hand if you need a Bible? I want you to see the Word of God. It's important you see the Word. Why is it important that you see the Word of God? Well, God said in, in Mark 16 that I'll confirm my Word with signs following. I said to him one day, I said, Lord, I want you to confirm your Word today. And you know what he said to me? Just preach the Word. If you'll preach the Word, I'll confirm my Word with signs following. So guess what? I'm going to preach the Word today. We're going to believe God. And so we're on our GPS series the second week on giving I believe personally that as a believer, every one of us in here should give, we should pray, and we should serve. So let's let the Bible teach us today. Go to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14. Now we're going to talk this morning about the principle of the tithe. And when we talk about the principle of tithe, it's giving God my first, and I'm going to give God my first in faith. And you say, well, what, what, what good or what benefit is the tithe? Well... I believe it's biblical. I believe it's one of the greatest things that will change your heart. And it will align it with the things of God. Genesis 14 is where we begin. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, and, and when you see the reference to Melchizedek, and you're going to see it several times a day, Melchizedek was either a type of Christ or he was Christ himself. And so Melchizedek, King of Salem, the word Salem there means peace. Think about the word Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's peace. He brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. Now, he greets Abram right here, and he greets Abram with a, a royalty. To serve wine and bread was that of royalty in their times and customs. So he greets him. Verse 19, and he blessed him. Notice the word blessing. And he said, blessed, not cursed, but blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of all or of everything. Now, when we read this, this was prior to the law, prior to the, the, the legal requirements. And in this passage here, Abraham, he responds to the office of the priesthood with generosity and appreciation. And he's saying, you know what, Father God? Just whatever thing you've done for me, I want everybody to see this. I want people to see just how good you've been to me. Now, this is cross-reference to Genesis 28, so turn that way. Genesis 28, and a lot of the passage this morning they cross-reference over and over and over again. So we're going to follow a little bit of them and just see where this goes. We go to the, the, the other patriarch. You had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our founding forefathers, we could basically say. This one speaks of Jacob 
This is Genesis 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, and when you see the saying there, it implies that he was saying this to future generations. He was saying this to set an example, and he said here that he, he made a vow saying, if. Now, the word if there, guys, he's talking about it isn't implying doubt, but Jacob comes to the conclusion here that if he gets over in sin, he's going to forfeit everything that God wants him to have. So he says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, his words, they're, they're neither cynical or they uh, uh, a bribe. That wasn't what he was trying to do to Father God. And if you look here in this passage, when, when he begins to talk about this, his prayer was for food and clothing. He didn't ask God for luxury. He asked God for the very necessities that it takes to get for each one of us to live. And he ends in verse number 22, and he says, And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be, shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And so this originated right here through the early patriarchs, before it was ever law. And, and in this passage here, the tithe is part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is birthed off of grace and off of faith. Both of those. Now, the next place we cross-reference is to your right, to the book of, of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. Deuteronomy, chapter 26. And so you see that, that Abraham, he honored God with the tithe. Jacob honored God with the tithe. Genesis, or not Genesis, Deuteronomy 26, verse number 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance and possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now he's telling us here, no matter how hard you've worked, how hard you've labored, no matter how much you've sweated, understand that the blessings that you're receiving from the land, it's from God. And he's telling him here, you're going to have to bring some of it. And he says that you bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and you put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. So how that would look for us, that you bring it in your purse, you bring it in your wallet, and if you'll note, he said, you bring it to the Lord. Now, remember in their custom, most of them were either farmers or ranchers. So when they brought things, it was either usually food in some source, some sense. Verse 3. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and you'll say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God. My father was Syrian. He was about to perish and he went down to Egypt, dwelt there few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the, but the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice. And he looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. 
He has brought us to this place and has given us the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, when he talks about the land flowing with milk and honey, the flowing part literally represents a continuous blessing. Milk and honey is, man, everything I need. And this is what the writer is describing, that when the Lord brought them out of Egypt, his goal was for them to live in this place of continuous blessing. Verse number 9. He has brought us to this place and give us the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Now, as he talks about here, the tithe should be given in an attitude of worship. I think that when we honor our God with, with our tithe, it's saying, Father God, I honor you, I worship you. I thank you for everything you've done for me. I thank you that not only have you provided for me, you've even delivered me. And this was a customary thanks that they were brought up under this and said, it's important that you give God the first fruits, that you are given back to him and you're saying, Lord, I trust you, but I also thank you. Same chapter, verse number 13. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. Now, the reason he says I removed it from my house, because it's not mine. It doesn't belong in my house. It belongs in God's house. And he said, I've removed it, and, and he'll tell us why he's removed it. And I also have given to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandments which you've commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. So he's telling us here that when the tithe goes into the house of the Lord, it's to take care of the priest, it's to take care of the stranger, it's to take care of the widow and the orphan. And he's saying, if you'll bring this, this is what will begin to take place. Verse 14, I have not eaten any of it. Now when we look at that phrase right there, remember, most of their tithes in those days had to do with food, whether it was the fruit of the produce or whether, whether it was livestock. And so he said, I've eaten none of it. Now, you know how that looks for me and you? Every time I get paid, that's my resources. That's my livelihood. And for me and you to eat the tithe, you know what that would mean? That I would take what's supposed to go to Father God and I would say, well... I'm going to pay my bills with it. I'm going to buy me a new pair of shoes. I'm going to go on vacation. And so anytime I've done that, I've eaten what isn't mine, but I've eaten what God told me to give to him. So he said, I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless, not curse, and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now when he talks about here, bless us, Lord, don't curse us, bless us. Many people often will refer to Galatians 3.13, it says the Lord has delivered us or he has set us free from the curse of the law. The curse of the law was poverty, sickness, and death. 
And so often people will say, well, I'm a Christian. I can't be cursed because Jesus has already broken the curse for me. Well, that's true. But the only way that's appropriated in my life is to believe that, receive it by faith, and obey Father God. Now, how many of you in this room, since you got born again, have you been sick? Every one of us in here. Do you know part of the curse that Jesus took was sickness away from us? But yet, even when I walk in divine health, it's appropriated by faith and obedience to the Word of God. How many of you in this room have sinned since you've been born again? Every one of us. And part of the curse that was broken is the Lord Jesus. He bore our sin upon the cross, but still to this day, that's only appropriated by faith and by my obedience. So what I'm telling us here is anytime I violate the Word of God or the purposes of Father God, the principles of Father God, I've now come under a self-imposed curse because I didn't do what He asked. See, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says specifically, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So for me to come under the blessing and for me to come under the curse... It's a choice. And I've got to get to the place in my life where I obey the Scriptures. And if you'll note in there, he said in verse 14, I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Now that's significant for every one of us to get that we come underneath his authority and we come underneath his word and we obey him the best we can. Let's go a little further. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and let's let the Word of God teach us today. Let's let it instruct us here. Malachi 3, and once you get there, we will begin in verse number 6. Malachi 3, verse 6, if I can get there. All right. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I do not change change now as human beings that's difficult for us to really fully grasp that but God said I don't change he's the same yesterday today and forever get that thought get that truth in your heart right there God does not change continuing in verse 6 with that thought therefore or that is why you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Why were the sons of Jacob not consumed? Because Father God said, I do not change. Now, the sons of Jacob were referring to the Jews. Remember, God had a covenant with them. And God was telling them right here, if I was a God that changed, I would already have destroyed you. I would have wiped you out. Because I don't change, my mercy is still good to you. So God's attributes, God's character, and God's nature do not change. Think about this. God is perfect. Now once again, as human beings, that's difficult for us to grasp. Perfect. But God is perfect because if God could change, that means he could get better. God's perfect, guys. He's never going to be wrong. He's never going to be at fault of anything. James 1.17 says, All that's good 
and perfect comes from God. So you know what the character, the nature of God is? It's good and perfect. Now let's just use this, and this, this is no biblical proof on this at all. But let's suppose that 3,000 years ago, God comes walking in here. And God is 6'2", 220 pounds. If God came back right now, he would still be 6'2", 220 pounds. You know why? He doesn't change. That's how he is. So when I read the Bible, understand this. Most of this was written thousands and thousands of years ago, but God doesn't change. His word doesn't change, and his promises don't change. Verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers, your ancestors, you have gone away or you've turned aside from my ordinances or my decrees. Now the word ordinances there means a principle. You have gone away from my ordinances or my principles. So we rewind, rewind, rewind. If God cannot change, then do you think his principles can change? They don't. And they don't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. When God says I don't change, he means it. And so he said, you've strayed from my ordinances and my principles. Keep reading. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return to you? Now get this. Look what he says immediately. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. So when they ask him right here, how do we return back to you? Actually, his answer to them was, in your tithes and your offerings. So if 3,000 years ago, God was 6'2 and 220 pounds, let's just say 3,000 years ago, God said, the tithe is mine. And God shows up today. Isn't his tithe still his today? I believe it is. And so right here, God was telling his chosen, listen, he said, guys, come back to me. How do we come back to me? In our tithes and offerings. So the tithe and the offering is related to who God is. Now let's go a little farther, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse into the church, into the temple. Many times people will say, well, I know why you preachers are saying that. Well, let's take preachers out of the equation right here. I didn't write this, okay? God said in Malachi 3.10, He said, bring the tithe into the storehouse or the church. Why? That there may be food or resources in my house. Now, I personally believe this. What I do or don't do with my tithe and your tithe tells God a lot about you. Tells God a lot about each one of us. The reason I say this is remember in Matthew 6, 21, it says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Now, I'm going to make a real bold statement, but it'll, it'll get your attention real quick. If my money isn't in the church, my heart isn't either. Woo, that hurt, Pastor. No, no, no. Think what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. 
And so he gets to the root of that right here. And he's telling them here, guys, because you haven't honored me with your tithes and offerings, you've drifted from my heart. And so he tells us here, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this and try me now in this and prove me now in this and test me now in this. Did you know this is the only place in the Bible where God tells us testing, prove me? My paraphrased addition in this is God saying, I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you. I saw a shirt not long ago and it said I triple dog dare you. A little better, a little stronger. Keep reading here with me. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Now you got to get this part right here. Get this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now the reason I want you to highlight that is if I ask a show of hands in here, how many of you want God to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and rebuke the devourer for your sake? Every one of us in here. We would have our hands up, we would have our toes up, we'd have everything up. So in saying that, Why do I argue over this? Why do I complain about having to do this when God's wanting to bless me? When God's wanting to take care of me? And every bit of it comes down to this thing called a a test of my heart. And remember, where my heart is is where my treasure is. So the real issue of all this, for every one of us, it becomes a heart issue. Now, just turn a little bit to your right to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And he's going to deal with it real quick right here. The the obstacle that happens with people, with human beings. This is, I believe, is the main obstacle when it comes to even giving. Matthew 15 verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth. And they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And and what he's saying here, this is the Lord Jesus, he said, their hearts aren't aligned with their lips. See, he's telling me that many, we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. And so, once again, my paraphrased edition here is this. The Lord is saying to us, it's time that we start putting a little walkie-walkie with our talkie-talkie. That we begin to say, okay, Father God. And it's very easy to say, I love Jesus. I come to church. But yet, where's your heart at? Because, and I can take you there. I reference again, Matthew 6, 21. Where my heart is, is where my treasure is. Look how he ends, verse number 9. And in vain, useless, and in vain they worship me. The, The new living says, you uselessly do they worship, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he's saying, your attitudes and your actions are off. And the problem is this, is we start replacing the Word of God, the commandments of God, For what man says. 
we start making what man says is doctrine instead of the Word of God that I'm going to live by and I'm going to address my life by and I'm going to obey the Word of God. Something happens when I say, you know what? I put the things of God above what man thinks. And don't think for one minute there's no consequences when you disobey what God's asked us to do. So once again, the Lord said, I want your heart. I want all of your heart. God is a, he's a jealous God. And the reason he's jealous is he don't, he doesn't want to share us with nothing. He said, there is no other God. Put me first. Turn to Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. Now, if you hadn't noticed this, we're in the New Testament. And if you hadn't noticed yet, these are red-letter words. In other words, this is Jesus telling me and you, pay attention, get this, okay? Matthew 23, verse 23. Whoa! And always in the Bible, that woe is not really good. Woe to you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And the reason he addressed them is that way is because all they were were religious. There's a difference between religious and having a relationship. He goes on to say, For you pay tithe of mint and a nice ordeal and coming. Now remember, most of them, their livelihood was the produce of the land. And so he said, here, boys, you, you pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin. The message says, you've tied off of every penny, nickel, and dime. Now let's look here real close what Jesus goes on to say. And have neglected the weightier, the meatier, or the heavier matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faith. So Jesus right here, he gets over and says, Boys, I've seen that you've tithed off of every penny, nickel, and dime, but you've neglected faith and justice and mercy. Now look what he goes on to end with. These you ought to have done. Faith and mercy and justice without leaving the others undone. In other words, without neglecting to tithe, without neglecting to do what I ask. So he wasn't saying here that if you do mercy, faith, and, and, and uh, justice, you don't have to tithe anymore. Jesus himself, right here in the New Testament, he said, you should have done these others, but without leaving this one undone. And so in his exact words here, Jesus tells us, obey the tithe as an accepted discipline. Honor it. Begin to do this. And watch what I'll do. This was Jesus' words. I got one more passage. Boy, you guys are quiet. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. You guys are really thinking. Or you're really contemplating. Hebrews 7. Now, when we get to Hebrews 7, the first three references I gave you, Genesis 14, Genesis 28, and Deuteronomy 26, they cross-reference every one of those to Hebrews 7. Right 
here in the New Testament. Hebrews 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, here he is again, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. He didn't curse him. Now, right there, even in verse 1, when it says the priest of the Most High God, sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of, king of priests. Now, one of the definitions of Jesus is the prince of peace. That's why I wonder more and more if Melchizedek, it's a tongue twist. Don't name your kid Melchizedek. You have to give him an ugly nickname. I wonder if this wasn't Jesus. I really do. Verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy or a record of, having neither beginning of day nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Sounds like Jesus. Now consider how great this man was, Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch, the father of us, gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the, same, the, the sons of Levi, who receive the, the, the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. So right here, he tells, tells us something. He said, the priests have been commanded to receive tithes from ones that come from under the law, that's Old Testament, or even the ones who come from the loins of Abraham. Where do the ones from Abraham come from? The disposition of grace or faith. So really what he's telling us right there, the priests have an order to take commands, or they take commands to receive the tithe from everybody. Everybody. Verse 6. But he's whose genealogy, Melchizedek, is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promise. Now beyond all contradiction or without question, the lesser is blessed by the better. The one who has the power to give blessing is a greater blessing than the one that gets or is the one that receives. This is God. He wants to bless us. Verse 8. Here mortal men, which means men who are subject to death, they receive tithes. But there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Now once again, this tells me, I believe this is Jesus because it says, he receives tithes, the one that lives. Jesus is alive. So that verse right there, in a nutshell, I believe is saying this to me and you. When you bring your tithes to the house of God, in one sense, you are giving them to a physical being, a physical man, a mortal man. And as you hand them right here to a physical man or a mortal man, you know what takes place here? It's if, if Jesus is receiving them. Yes, I give them to man, but it's like I'm giving it himself to Jesus, and he sees them. Now, over and over this morning, every time that the word tithe was referenced or described, it always was associated with the word bless 
or blessing. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. But he's saying, partner with me. Begin to get a hold of this. Begin to live this way. Let me ask you right here. Is there anybody in this room who can say they've honored God with their tithe since they were this big, early in their days? Is there anybody in here who can say that? Wow. Okay, stick them up, stick them up. Stick them up real high. There's, there's three. My daughter, Penny Groom, and Stacy Havens right here. You guys beat the first service. The first service, there were only two. That, that, that's an incredible heritage, guys. I'm going to tell you right now. That, that is huge to me. Pastor, why didn't you raise your hand? Because I hadn't honored God all my life. I was a knucklehead for years. See, God wants to bless us. And is it a step of faith? It's a huge step of faith. But I will tell you this, the more you begin to do it, the more it becomes a form of worship. And you come in and you say, oh, thank God, I get to honor God today. I, I get to give back to Him. I get to say, Father God, I see what you've done in my life, and I'm here to say, I thank you for it, I'm grateful for it. Now, I'm going to re- re- give you a little back, back knowledge of my own life. And the Lord revealed this to me in the first service. I'm standing down here in the altar And he began to tell this to me. At the age of 20, I give my heart to Jesus. I hadn't lived for Jesus. And I give my heart to Jesus, but we had never honored God with the tithe because I was ignorant. I didn't know the Word of God at all. In in the four years between 20 and 24 before I first started tithing God, I started gaining knowledge. I started seeing what the Bible said, but I still was like, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. I got more month than money. And I tried to figure it out in my head. But at the age of 24, we started honoring God. We've never turned back from it. We've done it, and we've done it with great joy, and we've done great joy. So when you look in Deuteronomy 26, when God brought the Israelites out, it said that He prospered them, and He delivered them. He blessed them, and He delivered them. So rewind back to my life. I get born again at 20 years old. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a stumbling, fumbling drunk. Just that plain and simple. And I begin to get a hold of the scriptures that God had set me free, that God wanted to deliver me. According to Colossians 1.13, he said he's delivered me out of the power of darkness. So for the next four years, I keep speaking that, and I keep speaking the word over me. I keep saying, and I thank you, Father God, that alcohol has no dominion over me in the name of Jesus. And, and my drinking begins to subside. It gets less and less and less, but I'm still drinking. And this is what the Lord showed me today. When I started honoring God with my tithe at 24, I was delivered from all that alcohol. I had never seen that before to this day. And I believe this also for every one of this, that when I give my heart to God, even in this area, things begin to change. Not only in the spiritual realm, but, but my heart changes and every, every being or every part of my being changes. And God wants to do that for every one of us. Was it a step of faith? It was. I believe Jesus sets free. But I begin to notice the correlation between when people honored God as they did. They got into a land that flowed with milk and honey 
and they were delivered. God wants to bless, He wants to deliver us, but you know what the thing is? I got to connect with Him. How do I connect with Him? Right here in my heart. Right here in my heart. And where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. And listen, I promise you, I, I'm, I will not ever preach condemnation. That's not my goal. My goal is for you to begin to see the Scriptures and you begin to look at your life with the Scriptures. And begin to say, Father God, I, I need help today. God said, I want to help you. I want to say, I will set you free. And you know what I said? Since the age of 24, God has blessed me and He's blessed me and blessed me. And I've never relapsed into alcohol. Not because of me, but because, you know what? When I gave God my heart in every area, He began to move. See, often, you know what we say? Well, I want the things that they have. I want all that stuff. Well, do you want to do the things people have done? Once again, it's not because what I've done. It's just be, be, the, the, the root of it is I obey the Scripture and say, Okay, Father God, and let's go back and think what they said over and over. We have obeyed you in every area of our life. We've obeyed you in all the commands. And I will tell you this, to obey God, often we look at it as punishment. Well, it's hard being a Christian. It was hard being a sinner. It wore me out. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.